Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Prescribing Truth Podcast right here on YouTube. I'm your host, Jamal Bandy. Um, if you listen to this show on your podcast apps, please remember to leave a rating and a review. We're located on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, and the like. Uh, if you're a first time watching this on YouTube, please remember to subscribe if you find this content helpful. Hit that but hit that um, notification bell to the side so you can be notified when I have new content. If you'd like to uh, support the show financially, please do so by partnering with me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash prescribe truth. I have different rewards here, anywhere starting from a dollar and up. As a matter of fact, I just made a recent change, so it's it's a dollar, eight dollars, and twenty dollars, depending on what you want to do. And a dollar, you can see the live stream right now, just like last week. I'm excited. I got one patron right now looking at. I am not ashamed. <laughs> I am happy, man. Like you talk about interaction and everything like that. Like one patron is watching on live with me. So we have some interaction and everything like that. So I am thankful. And so you too can take part in live taping of the show by just giving one dollar a month. And that's cool. And you can drop out anytime, it's non-binding. So I greatly appreciate it. If not, I appreciate your prayers. I want to discuss a statement that came out, um, if not yesterday morning, the night before. Uh, it was a statement dealing with social justice and the gospel. I mean, that's basically the title of it. The social justice, uh, it says the statement for social justice and the gospel. That's it. And um, it's got some affirmations and some denials on there that was basically drawn up by a group of men um, in light of everything that's going on concerning social justice and what the body of Christ is feeling about it as a whole. Uh, how we should respond to these things, how some are responding, if they're in error, if they're not. So there are seen to be a lot of opinions on this subject. And what has what it has drawn to is that it is now come to a point where it is affecting the gospel. Um, I mean, there have been talks of people having to repent because of past uh, generational sins and so on and so forth and everything like that. And um, then the question arises: Okay, well, how far does this go? You know, where does it end? And so, and so it's a lot of it's a lot of opinions in this. You know, a lot of nuances, and the conversation is happening. And sometimes it's getting heated, and sometimes not. And so, um, I just want to read this statement. Uh, since it has came out within the within the past twenty four hours, it has gotten a lot of slack. Um, got a lot of people who signed it and, and agree with it. But also with that, you have those who push back against it and, and then think that it was it's good. You know, a lot of people who, from what I've seen so far, those who have pushed back against it is people from the left. Um, and basically, they just basically don't believe the Bible anyway. That's, that's most, not all, but most. Now, there are some who push back against it who do believe the scriptures, but they have a different view on this. So I want to be able to read through those points. Um, there's 15 points on here. And I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to want to read through all 15 points and, and give my take on it, but I will read through the important stuff that I see. All of it's important, actually. All of it's good. But I want to read through the points that are more um, relevant to what I'm actually trying to get at as far as dealing with social justice and dealing with racism and everything else. Um, I have a, I've had a couple of videos on here in the past um, talking with Damon Richardson concerning racial conciliation. Um, uh, a podcast I did with a couple of brothers of mine. We talked about racism and what's going on and how it's affecting us and so on and so forth. And we know what is it doing and how can we get um, get through it as a body. We had those kind of uh, discussions. And so this time I want to just read the statement. And for the most part, I will let you know, spoiler alert, I agree with it. I, I don't see anything wrong with this statement. You know, and I've heard people say they don't like it, but I don't see what the problem is. I don't see what's wrong. So 
to show you where I'm coming from with it, I want to read through it and let you um, listen to it. I got a link um, to it in the description. You can you can read it yourself and come to your own conclusions with it. And um, and we can go from there or we can have a um, discussion about it, have a conversation about it. I would really enjoy that. All right. So without any further ado, let's go on and jump on into it. I just want to give you a, a foundation as to where I'm going with it or why I, I chose this topic today. So um, on the website, the, state, the statement on, I said for, the statement on social justice and the gospel. And it gives an introduction. I'm not going to read through the introduction. I'm just going to go into the uh, affirmations and denials. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to read what it says and, and, you know, just respond to it, how, what, what I think about it. So the first thing it says, we affirm that the Bible is God's word. So this first point is dealing with scripture. Breathe out by him. So Bible is God's word. Breathe out by him. It is inerrant, infallible, and the final authority for determining what is true, what we must believe, and what is right, how we must live. All truth claims and ethical standards must be tested by God's final word, which is scripture alone. I agree with that. I, I affirm that with them. I mean, I think that's plain. And it says, we deny that Christian belief, character, or conduct can be dictated by any other authority. And we deny that the postmodern ideologies derived from intersectionality, radical feminism, and critical race theory are consistent with biblical teaching. Now, that's where a lot of pushback has come in, especially dealing with critical race theory. A lot of pushback has come at this point. But the point of this denial is saying that the Bible is the final authority, that the culture does not define what, how, we should, uh, how we should live, and the culture doesn't, doesn't define how, what we must believe. The Bible is our final authority. You know what I'm saying? In the midst of everything around us, the Bible is our final authority as far as how we should carry our carry ourselves and how we should respond to things. It says we further deny that competency to teach on any biblical issue comes from any qualification or spiritual people other than clear understanding and simple communication of what is revealed in scripture. And then they give scripture references at the bottom. I mean you if you look at the side, you see they give scripture references at the bottom. This is this is for back in the claim, not just one scripture. But a couple of scriptures here. You got Genesis 2, you got Psalm 19, 1 Corinthians 2, Ephesians 5, um, 2 Timothy 3, Hebrews 4, and Hebrews chapter 13, 1 Peter, and 2 Peter. So all these scriptures here to back this one position here, dealing with scripture. All right, so that's key here. That's key here. Prodigal Son by Grace says, God's word is truth, should be our only guide. Amen. And so I affirm this, you know, and I think I don't think any Christian would deny this. Now you may have a problem with them using critical race theory in the in the denial part, but all they're saying is that we deny that postmodern ideologies derived from these things are consistent with biblical teaching. If not, why is critical race theory not not um not uh, in line with scripture because the bible tells us we all are from one race we, race came into came about because of sinful men the reason why we call it racist like have not racist as far as the sin but just like we have different races like that's because of sin but we've all come from one race we all have one one uh federal head and that's adam we all come from adam you know what I'm saying so now we have different ethnicities but we're all the same race. 
But yes, that will be inconsistent with biblical teaching. Feminine, radical feminism, inconsistent with biblical teaching. Intersectionality, inconsistent with biblical teaching as far as everything is going on. So, I mean, yeah. So our, our, everything must come from scriptures, and that's the point of that point. So not to spend too long with that. Let's go to the next one. Another um, one, the Imago Day. Now, I'm going to skip that one because most, most Christians are going to hold to this, but this is important. I will say this real quick on the Imago Day. When it comes from when we read the scriptures, how we treat people and everything else, our love for people, our compassion for people, and all those things is because they are made in the image of God. Even God says that in one of the, before the Ten Commandments even came, God said men should not murder each other because we're made in his image. You know, so, so from there we see that Mongo Day is solely important. It's really important. So we, our value, our worth, and all of that comes from the fact that we're made in his image and his likeness. So we're we're different than all the other all of other creation. We're different. God made us different. Um, we're the only creation part of His creation that He says He made after His own image, after His own likeness. So um, I just read the I read the denial part of this. It says we deny that God given roles, social and economic status, ethnicity, religion, sex, or physical condition, or any other property of a person either negates or contributes that individual's worth as an image bearer of God. So you're not better than everybody else because you're a man, not better than everybody because you're a woman, you're not better than everybody because of, because of your strength or your lack thereof or your socioeconomic status, whether you're rich or poor, whether you're black or white or Asian, regardless of your religion, even your religion. Like the Muslim is not a lesser of lesser value than me because he's not a Christian. You see that? The Hindu. He's not of lesser value than me because he's not a Christian. We all have worth as image bearers of God. So I don't think anybody should deny that, um, that fact there. So uh, let's go on. Now, justice. Now, this is the biggest thing, dealing with social justice. Like, what, is we, what are we doing about things? and How are we going about making things right from past sins and so on and so forth? So let's look at this concerning justice. It's the third point. It says, we affirm that since God is holy, righteous, and just, God requires those who bear his image to live justly in the world. Right? We are to live justly in the world. This includes showing appropriate respect to every person and giving to each one what he or she is due. We affirm that societies must establish laws to correct injustices that have been imposed through cultural prejudice. Wait a minute. For those who are going for social justice, like, when you agree with that, you are, are you you pushing for laws? You want laws to be in place to protect people. But we have like police brutality. Um, those who were beaten unjustly by police officers or killed. We want laws in place to correct those injustices. You know what I'm saying? We want something to be done about those things, and so that goes across the board. We affirm that societies must establish laws. That's why we have laws. It says we deny, though, we deny that true justice can be culturally defined or that standards of justice that are merely socially constructed can be imposed with the same authority as those that are derived from Scripture. So all that is, is making a distinction. True justice can be culturally defined. Why is that? Because men are wicked. We're inconsistent. What you may consider just, somebody else may not. It's subjective. 
that's why everything comes from the foundation of scripture. So then, so the next point is that justice is, is merely, not all, just merely socially constructed can be opposed with the same authority. So these things can't be imposed as the same authority as scripture. That's all. That the standards of justice that are merely socially constructed. So not all. That still includes some. That still includes some, some aspect of being socially constructed, but not merely. And it says can be, it can't be opposed with the same authority as those that are derived from scripture. It says we further deny that Christians can live justly in the world under any principles other than the biblical standards of righteousness. We agree with that. Like, well, should, I should, I agree with that. There's a relativism, socially constructed standards of truth or morality or notions of virtue and vice that are constantly in flux cannot result in authentic justice. I, I agree with that. I, I want to know what's, what's wrong with that statement. If anybody has a problem with that statement, like what is wrong with that statement? Relativism, socially constructed standards of truth or morality and notions of virtue and vice that are constantly in flux cannot result in authentic justice. Can't. We have evidence of that. You know, so I mean, and there's once again, there's, there's scripture references to that. Genesis 18, 19, Isaiah 61, Micah 6, Matthew 5, Romans, Romans 3. So there's scripture for that. Going on God's law. It says we affirm that God's law as summarized in the Ten Commandments more succinctly summarized in the two great commandments, which is, you know, love God with all your heart, mind, body, and strength, and love thy neighbor as yourself, and manifested in Jesus Christ, is the only standard of unchanging righteousness. God's standard of righteousness never changes. I believe every Christian would agree with that. We would not have no problem with that. It's his righteousness, his standards of righteousness never changes. Violation of that law is what constitutes sin. That's it. So now this is the basis. Now this goes into uh, what's going to lead into what we talk about as far as people, people having to, or people being said to have to repent or being told to have to repent because of what their ancestors have done and so on and so forth, you know, down the line, like breaking God's law, violation of that law is what constitutes sin. All right. So if that, if a person has not committed that sin and they shouldn't have to repent for that sin. The ones who committed the sin should have to repent. Now, whether they're dead now, I mean, that makes no bit of difference. The fact that those who are now living shouldn't have to be made to repent for what their ancestors have done. I think that's fair enough. It says, we deny that any obligation that does not arise from God's commandments can be legitimately imposed on Christians as a prescription for righteous living. So, the whole thing for us is like, well, you should do this, and it's sin if you don't do this. If you're not doing this, if you're not doing that, it's a sin. So you're actually adding to or trying to add to what Christians are supposed to do, adding to what the law would be, God's law would be. And this is what is basically insane here. It says, we deny that any obligation that does not arise from God's commandments. So it must arise from God's commandments. If you're going to say something is a sin, you have to be able to show from God's commandments, his law, where we've broken that law. And it says, can be legitimately imposed on Christians as a prescription for righteous living. We further deny the legitimacy of any charge of sin or call to repentance that does not arise from a violation of God's commandments. That's basically what I was just saying there. 
Now, sin. We affirm that all people are connected to Adam, both naturally and federally. Therefore, because of original sin, everyone is born under the curse of God's law and all break his commandments through sin. There is no difference in the condition of sinners due to age, ethnicity, or sex. There's no difference. We're all broken God's law. All are depraved in all their faculties and all stand condemned before God's law. All human relationships, systems, institutions have been affected by sin. Everything. So yes, our government is a flawed government. It's a sinful world. I, all this is consistent with scripture. There's no difference in the condition of sinners due to anything. Due to age, ethnicity, or sex, all are depraved in all their faculties. Not some of their faculties. So it's not like sinners are depraved when it comes to how to love their neighbor or to love God. But they're not depraved when it comes to actually being able to carry out social justice laws. Like, um, so the government, they're depraved when it comes to believing God and confessing Christ, but they, but they're not depraved when it comes concerning, um, like, uh, having compassion on people enough to make laws that keeps people safe and everything else. Like, come on now, like it, all their faculties were affected by sin. And so everything that's in place now, this is why I love the fact that God is sovereign. And me and Nathan were talking about this briefly a little bit while we was basically just praising God for it in a minute, just in a moment, that God is sovereign. Like he, he said in his word, he puts governments in place. He puts governments in place. The people who are in charge, he puts them there. You know, they're not there on their own. God is sovereign. He places them there. So the laws that we do have, I believe God is definitely instrumental in everything as far as our, the laws we do have in place. This is up to sinful men. We probably wouldn't have no laws. We'll be lawless. You know, I mean, I just, I just, it just shows that. Parker Son, <laughs> by Grace says, if we keep adding to laws, this is referring to the last one, I believe. If we keep adding to the laws, then we will have 600 more laws again. Yeah. Because we'll always find something. And, it, like I said, and that's why I love how we saw in the last point. That God's law is unchanging. His righteous, his standard of righteousness is unchanging. Uh, he also adds, Pharaoh was put in place to set Israelites free. Think about that for a second. This Pharaoh coming into being the power and God uses him. Uh, even in his denial, even in his rejection, all of that was for a purpose. But then ultimately, it was a purpose to let them go free. Wow. Hey, God is, he's in control of these things. Like, it's like, I don't know, I guess we believe it in some points and we don't in others. So here it says, we deny that other than the previously stated connection to Adam, any person is morally culpable to another person's sin. I mean, for another person's sin. Let me read that again. We deny that other than the previously stated connection to Adam, so other than we being connected to Adam concerning our sinfulness and our deadness to sin, any person, we deny that any person is morally culpable to another person's sin. So I'm not responsible for anybody else's sin. So I'm not responsible for your sin. You're not responsible for my sin. My son, my five-year-old son and my about-to-be-one-year-old son, they're not responsible for my sin. If I go out and do wrong, they should not have to repent for what I do. Now, they may feel, they may feel the weight of it. They may suffer a little bit because of the bad decisions I make, but they should not have to repent for what I've done wrong. Although families, groups, and nations can sin collectively and cultures can be predisposed to particular sins, subsequent generations share the collective guilt 
of their ancestors only if they approve and embrace or attempt to justify those sins. That's fair. That's fair, y'all. Like, where do you find that? Why would you find anything wrong with that? That's fair. So concerning racism, concerning the slave trade, any of those things, how is any of our white brothers and sisters now are responsible or should feel some kind of guilt for what happened back then? If, only if, they embrace it, they try to justify it, or they approve of it. Like, that's fair. Because that shows sinfulness in their heart that they need to repent of. You see? But if they don't embrace it, if they don't approve it, and they're not justifying it, then they should have to repent of it. They're not responsible for that. It says, before God, each person must repent and confess his or, or her own sins in order to receive forgiveness. We further deny that one's ethnicity establishes any necessary connection to any particular sin. So, that, so I think this is more or less given to the fact that um, there are some people now, I haven't heard this from all I haven't heard this from every black person or every African-American person. Um, I surely haven't said this before. Um, but there are some who believe that black people can't be racist. So they say, well, white people can be racist, but blacks can't be racist because we suffer under racism. We can't be racist. We're just basically responding to what's been going on. We're not racist. And so even if they have, even if they're saying the same race, racial, um, racist things that were said by whites, or the case may be, they still would not claim to be racist. But it's not just go to white and black. I mean, you have, think about the um, in Korea, North and South Korea, the, the divide there, you know, so dealing with the Asians, like there's racism in Asia. There's racism amongst blacks, racism in whites, racism in everybody. And this goes to show that we're all sinful, we're all sinful human beings. So there's no one sin that just only tied to a particular, a particular ethnic group. That's fair. That is also true. So that's that. So that's dealing with sin. All right. The gospel. Now, this is the good stuff. The gospel, the good news. We affirm that the gospel is the divinely revealed message concerning the person and work of Jesus Christ, especially his virgin birth, righteous life, substitutionary sacrifice, atoning death, and bodily resurrection, revealing who he is and what he has done with the promise that he will save anyone and everyone who turns from sin by trusting him as Lord. We deny that anything else, whether works to be performed or opinions to be held, can be added to the gospel without perverting it into another gospel, which then will make us in violation of Galatians 1. I mean, come on. That this also means that implications and applications of the gospel, such as the obligation to live justly in the world, though legitimate and important in their own right, are not definitional components of the gospel. Now, I've heard somebody push back on this. And so let me give my thoughts on this line here. So the, the pushback was, oh, they're trying to say our works don't matter. Like, so you basically, as long as you believe, you don't have to do any good things. Be to, in order for be saved, you know, saying it doesn't have a component, of, it's not a component of the gospel. Let's look at what was actually said here. It says this also means that implications and applications, so that means doing the right things based on the gospel, such as the obligation to live justly in the world, though legitimate. So once they're already saying it's legitimate to live justly. Matter of fact, you saw in an earlier point, 
And it says we are responsible to live just in the world. It's the call of God for us to live just in this, justly in this world. So we see that already. They already made that point. They already made that point earlier. So it says, so though legitimate and important in their own right, there are not definitional components of the gospel. Why is that the case? Because our salvation is not of works. Now this will have to go. Now this would definitely have to go into your ideal soteriology. What? How do you think a person is saved? Are we saved by works? Are we saved by faith in Christ? And so by by what the scripture teaches, we are saved by faith in Christ and, and faith in faith alone in Christ. And it's by grace we have been saved, not by our works. So yes, these things are legitimate. Yes, they are important, but they do not define the gospel. Our works don't define the gospel. You know, what I'm saying. Our, how we live and how we interact with one another is a direct result of the heart change, of the supernatural heart change, the power of the Holy Spirit that happens in us. And I don't see how we could disagree with that as Christians. But if you read too deep into this, if you skip over that part where it says it's legitimate and important in their own right, and if you skip over the other points where it said that we should live justly in the world and that we should have compassion on people because of the Imago day, then of course, yeah, you're going to miss this. You're going to miss it, and then you're going to take the, you're going to take it the wrong way. Salvation. We affirm that salvation is granted by God's grace alone, received through faith alone in Christ Jesus alone. Every believer is united to Christ, justified before God, and adopted into his family. Thus, in God's eyes, there is no difference in spiritual value or worth among those who are in Christ. Further, all who are united to Christ are also united to one another, regardless of age, ethnicity, or of sex. So, we're all united together. Regardless of our age, ethnicity, or sex, all believers are being conformed to the image of Christ by God's regeneration, uh, by God's regenerating and sanctifying grace. All believers will be brought to the final glorified sinless state of perfection in the day of Jesus Christ. So why, why, why are we looking for believers to be perfect today? Why are you looking for your, for your fellow brothers and sisters to have it all together today? Why do you think that in order for you to feel like, well, I can't fellowship with this person, can't fellowship with that person? Why is that? Do we not understand what the issue is concerning all of us, that we're all still dealing with sin? And the only time we will get rid of this sin is in glory. And since we deny that salvation can be received in either way, we also deny that salvation renders any Christian free from all remaining sin or immune from, every, from even grievous sin in, in this life. So let's look at that again. We deny that salvation can be received in any other way. So that's the base. We can, we can all agree with that. We also deny that salvation renders any Christian free from all remaining sin or immune or from even grievous sin in this life. So once again, if you read the other points, this is not saying that a Christian can go about just doing whatever they want to do and be saved. That's, that's not the case. But the saying here is based on what the gospel teaches, is that because we're saved by faith and not by our works, and because the Bible says, especially you look at Colossians, and uh, matter of fact, Colossians is not a scripture they even put on here, but Colossians 2 talks about how our sins, all of our sins have been taken out of the way. The debt, the certificate of debt against us has been canceled at the cross. That's past, present, and future sins. So that's, that's, that's in line with scripture. So it's not saying that we should be able to go out and just do what we want to do. Because the born-again believer, the one who has God's Holy Spirit in him or her, will not want to go out there and do those things. It will not go, continue in sin and practice sin. You see? There's always going to be a turning from sin. There's always going to be a brokenness over this sin because of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us.
So it says, we further deny that ethnicity excludes anyone from understanding the gospel, nor does anyone's ethnic or cultural heritage mitigate or remove the duty to repent and believe. Everybody, no matter what, must repent and believe. Everybody. That's pretty, that's pretty cut and dry. All right. I'm going to see what I want to read this. Now, this is what I want to church. Now, this is an important one. I'm going to read this one. Matter of fact, the other one goes into heresy, sexuality, complementarianism. I got two more points. No, uh, four. Four more points, and I'll, and I'll be through it. There's other points. Remember, it's 15 points. So just keep from having to go through everything on here. Just, I'm going to go to points that's, that's relevant to what we're dealing with, social justice and then with racism and so on and so forth. So let's look at the church. We affirm that the primary role of the church is to worship God through the preaching of his word, teaching sound doctrine, observing baptism and the Lord's Supper, refuting those who contradict, equipping the saints, and evangelizing the lost. We affirm that when the primacy of the gospel is maintained, that this often has a positive effect on the culture in which various societal ills are modified. We affirm that under the Lordship of Christ, we are to obey the governing authorities established by God and pray for civil leaders. So now that somebody would say, well, what if your government tell you to do this and do that against God? What it says, we affirm that under the Lordship of Christ. So ultimately, Christ is our Lord. We are to obey the governing authorities established by God. So we are to obey the authorities established by God, but under the Lordship of Christ. So of course. If your government is teaching you to do anything that's sinful and telling you you should do that, no, you obey Christ, not them at that point. It says, and pray for civil leaders. So, yes, we're supposed to pray for all of our leaders. Because we deny that political or social activism should be viewed as integral components of the gospel or primary to the mission of the church. So, now people find this as a problem. What is it saying? It's saying that we deny that political or social activism should be viewed as integral components of the gospel it's not the it's not the it's, it's one of the things where it should be something that you, may, you could do like you can do these things it's good to do them nothing wrong with doing it but it shouldn't be saying okay if you don't do these things then you're not obeying the gospel because that's sin you accuse somebody of sin at that point that's that's what they're saying here or primary to the mission of the church well given what's affirmed as far as the, what it's supposed to do evangelize the lost well that doesn't mean you have to go out and do and participate in activism it doesn't mean you have to do that you know what I'm saying? Like you're doing what the church is supposed to do. So these things, and that doesn't mean you're not obeying the gospel if you don't do them. And that's basically what this is saying as far as the denial. It says, though believers can and should utilize all lawful means, lawful means that God has providentially established to have some effect on the laws of, of a society. We deny that these activities are either evidence of saving faith or constitute a central part of the church's mission given to her by Jesus Christ, her head. We deny the, that laws or regulations possess any inerrant power to change sinful hearts. So check that out. Before you got upset at the first line, if you read the rest, it says, Though believers can and should utilize all lawful means that God has providentially established to have some effect on the laws of a society. So yes, it's good to go out there and you should do those things. But we have to be careful not to call it sin if a person doesn't. That's what it's basically getting at, you know what I'm saying? And that's, and that's true, given what we already affirmed in other places. So this, is, so this next one is point 12, race 
and ethnicity. Ethnicity. It says, we affirm God made all people from one man. Though people often can be distinguished by different ethnicities and nationalities, they are ontologically, I'm sorry, they are ontological equals before God in both creation and redemption. Race, quote unquote, is not a biblical category, but rather a social construct that often has been used to classify groups of people in terms of inferiority and superiority. That's true. True. All that is good, honest, just, and beautiful in various ethnic backgrounds and experiences can be celebrated as the fruit of God's grace. All sinful actions and their results, including evils, uh, including evils perpetrated between and upon ethnic groups by others, are to be confessed as sinful, repented of, and repudiated. It says we deny that Christians should segregate themselves into racial groups or regard racial identity above or even equal to their identity in Christ. Let's stop there. There have been there are people who have said that they feel like they can't worship with well there are African Americans who claim that they cannot worship alongside uh Caucasians because of this whole thing. They don't feel comfortable no more and all that stuff. And there are others who push for that, who said it's completely okay. And you may have some on the other side. You may have some Caucasians who don't want to worship with blacks. That may be the case. It's on and across the board. But we have to recognize that this is not consistent. That kind of thought is not consistent with Christian values, given everything that we just read so far concerning all that, the Imago Day and everything else concerning sin and all that stuff. The gospel, we should know that that's not consistent with how the Christian is supposed to live and what the Bible teaches concerning how we're supposed to carry ourselves in love and unity. So, no, we deny that Christians should segregate themselves. So, no, the reason why we have predominantly black churches and the reason why we have predominantly white churches and so on and so forth is because of sin. You go back and look at the history of the church because of sin. You know, not because the Bible taught it that way, so on and so forth, because of sin. All right, so we deny that. We deny that any divisions between people groups from an unstated attitude of superiority to an over spirit, I mean, I'm sorry. Uh, we deny that any divisions between people groups from an unstated attitude of superiority to an overt spirit of resentment have any legitimate place in the fellowship of the redeemed. We reject any teaching that encourages racial groups to view themselves as privileged oppressors or entitled victims of oppression. We are to weep with those who weep. We deny that a person's feelings of offense or oppression necessarily prove that someone else is guilty of sinful behaviors, oppression, or prejudice. Once again, just like the other point before, when it says merely these things, this thing it says necessarily. It says, while we weep with those who weep. So we weep with those who weep. We deny that a person's feelings of offense necessarily proves that a person is actually guilty. That's what they're saying. So all because you feel like you're oppressed, all because you feel like you've been offended, doesn't mean that the person that you're that you're accusing of it has actually done it. That doesn't mean that. Okay. So and you got it in scripture. I mean, think about it. Why would why would God put a law saying that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every charge be established? Because if it was just about your feeling, if you could just feel like somebody's wronged you, then you can accuse them and they be found guilty at the moment. That's why we have witnesses and all those things. God knew all these things 
Like he knew he knew how we would behave in certain areas and certain ish, and incidences, and so he put all these things in place for that reason, for his own glory. So I, I agree with that, you know, and the guy, the guy has scripture references for that. I agree with that. All right. The last one. Well, yeah, I'm looking at this one. So point thirteen, culture. We affirm that some cultures operate on assumptions that are inherently better than those of other cultures because of the biblical truths that inform those worldviews that have produced these distinct assumptions. So look, look at it again. There was some pushback on this. Let's look at this again. We affirm that some cultures operate on assumptions that are inherently better than those of other cultures because of the biblical truths that inform those worldviews that have produced these distinct assumptions. All that is saying, all that was there laid out like it was, just to say that some cultures, because of their biblical worldview, dress a certain way, have, they have assumptions that what they do is better because of they, how they receive the scriptures. In contrast to some other uh, cultures that don't have biblical worldviews. Now, every culture out there doesn't have a biblical worldview. There are some, there are some who had, made, um, had and some who didn't. You know, so regardless of whether they learned Christianity while they were in that particular culture or not, but based on a biblical worldview, where we see things, we have assumptions that are that things are better. Now, I appreciate the the language here that these are assumptions. These assumptions are based on biblical truths that inform those worldviews and basically cause these assumptions. So we get that. You know, so, so they're not saying these things are like set in stone, but we have assumptions. That's what is there. It says those elements of a given culture that reflect divine revelation should be celebrated and promoted. But the various cultures out of which we have been called all have features that are worldly and sinful. So all of our cultures, white, blacks, whatever, all back down, go down through our ancestral line. We all had issues that were worldly and sinful. And therefore, those sinful features should be repudiated for the honor of Christ. We affirm that whatever evil influences to which we have been subjected via our culture can be and must be overcome through conversion and the training of both mind and heart through biblical truth. I don't see anything wrong with that. And maybe you do. And that's why I want you to have the conversation, you know, comment and let me know. Is that we deny that individuals and subgroups in any culture are unable by God's grace, to rise above whatever moral defects or spiritual deficiencies have been engendered or encouraged by their respective cultures. So once again, we deny that individuals and subs and subgroups in any culture are unable, by God's grace, to rise above whatever moral defects or spiritual deficiencies have been um by whatever moral defects or spiritual deficiencies have been engendered or encouraged by their respective cultures. I'll read that one more time for the recording. One more time for recording sake. We deny that individuals and subgroups in any culture are unable by God's grace to rise above whatever moral defects or spiritual deficiencies have been engendered or encouraged by their respective cultures. So we're not so this is this what goes against the whole idea that um if you're black then you're basically unable to get over. You're unable to to overcome anything, moral defects, any of that kind of stuff, because of because of what happens in the culture. You know, you know, we can rise above that. We don't have to be that way. You know what I'm saying? So, 
That's what that's saying there. And notice it said moral defects or spiritual deficiencies. Because regardless of what your culture, what culture you're in, you can overcome it. You can, you can rise above it by God's grace. That's key. By God's grace. All right. The last point, racism. We affirm that racism is a sin rooted in pride and malice, which must be condemned and renounced by all who would honor the image of God and all people. Such racial sin can subtly or overtly manifest itself as racial animosity or racial vainglory. Such sinful prejudice or partiality falls short of God's revealed will and violates the royal law of love. We affirm that virtually all cultures, including our own, at times contain laws and systems that foster racist attitudes and policies. So, this will, go, this will show that nobody's denying that there are some serious issues with how things are done in our culture, in our society. Yes, we recognize there are some serious issues. We do, but we deny that treating people with sinful partiality or prejudice is consistent with biblical Christianity. We deny that only those in positions of power are capable of racism or that individuals of any particular ethnic groups are incapable of racism. This goes to earlier with saying there's no one, there's no sin that's just only given to a particular group. Like, no, this is, this can happen across the board said, we deny that systemic racism is in any way compatible with the core principles of historic evangelical convictions. We deny that the Bible can be legitimately used to foster or justify partiality, prejudice, or contempt toward other ethnicities. So, yes, those slave masters who used the Bible to control the slaves, they were wrong. They were wrong. They, and they're agreeing with that. They're affirming that. So the system that were put in place because of racism and the use of the Bible because of it is wrong. Can't do it. As we deny that the contemporary evangelical movement has any deliberate agenda to elevate one ethnic group or subjugate another. Read that again. We deny that the contemporary evangelical movement has any deliberate agenda to elevate one ethnic group and subjugate another. So no one is trying to elevate one culture or one ethnicity above another. Nobody's trying to do that intentionally. They're not doing it deliberately. And we emphatically deny that lectures on social issues or activism aimed at reshaping the wider culture are as vital to the life and health of the church as the preaching of the gospel and the exposition of scripture. Keep in mind what it said. It didn't say these things aren't important. It didn't say these things uh, should not be done or should be shunned. All it said is that we emphatically deny that lectures on social issues or activism aimed at reshaping the wider culture are as vital. That's what I'm saying. So this is so it's basically more important and for the health of the church is for the preaching of the gospel and exposition of scripture. That is mostly important if it comes to the church versus having lectures on social issues. It's just saying it's more important. I'm not saying it's not important, I'm not saying it shouldn't be included or should be dealt with. It says it's just not as vital to that. It's not vital. This not a, this is not as vital to the life and health of the church than the preaching of the gospel. I agree with that. The gospel is key. If I come to a church service and all you're talking about is social issues going on in the world and you're not giving the gospel, I'm going to be upset. I'm going to be upset. 
Like, no, give me the gospel. I need the gospel. If you're going to talk about all this stuff, but you can't teach me and can't show me how to expose the scripture by the example of your preaching, I'm going to be upset. Yeah. So, yes. But yet, but yet, I want to have the conversations about social issues. I want to talk about activism. That's cool. Let's talk about it. But, it should, but it's not as vital to the life of the health of the church. Historically, such things tend to become distractions that inevitably lead to departures from the gospel. What we see today. What we see today. You got, you got people, because of these conversations that are being pushed higher or equal to the gospel, as far as when it comes to your churches, people not wanting to fellowship with other Christians. Why? Because of skin color and what their ancestors supposedly have done. Not all, because no, not every white person in America, not every white person who's in America, their white family was actually slave owners. Like, you know what I mean? So, yeah. You got people not want to fellowship with each other because of that, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's hindering the gospel, you know. It's, it's, it's giving a different gospel, especially calling people to repent for what their ancestors have done. That's departure from the gospel. So, yeah, that's all the points that I have on there. That's, remember, that's 15 points. I don't even know how many I actually went over in this thing, but I just thought about going over the things that I saw were very important um, as I was looking through it last night and reading it. And I wanted to share it with you guys as well. So I'm hoping that encouraged you. I'm hoping that gave you some clarity. If you disagree, if you want to push back, I'm hoping that you'll be willing to discuss it in a rational way. Thankful. Be hoping. I'm happy for that. You know, um, you know, that's good. Let's keep the conversation going. Let's strive for unity within the body. You know, and, and love one another in the midst of our disagreements and so on and so forth. You know, by God's grace, we will get through this. And, then, you know, we'll be able to live together in peace and harmony and everything else. So uh, that's all I have. So thank you once again for joining me for another episode of the Prescribing Truth Podcast. Remember to like, share, and subscribe. Check out more Prescribed Truth on the side. And remember, in a world full of errors, the only thing the doctor has ever prescribed is truth. Blessings.